Welcome to the Winged Hazar Pubcast. From fantasy to sci-fi to history and horror, your hosts are about to take you on a journey through all things Winged Hazar Publishing. Sit back and relax as we talk about writing, gaming, as well as interview some of your favorite authors. Let's wing it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Winged Husser Pubcast. Today's episode is going to be focused on talking about characters and what makes them compelling. I'm Brandon. I'm Mark, and I'd like to apologize for the use of smoke grenades in Downfall. <laughs> so, arguably, the most important thing, more than plot, more than details, more than the cover, more than the title, the thing that I think people remember and focus on the most in any given novel are the characters. Agree or disagree? I personally agree. I, I reckon I know a lot of people who disagree, um, which I can, I can dive into in a bit more detail later. Personally, though, I agree. So when you think about characters, there's infinite number of possibilities that come to mind. You could talk about Luke Skywalker and compare him to Rey, uh, no last name given. You can look at Batman and compare him to Superman. You could look at Iron Man, compare him to Captain America. You could look at Cloud Strife and compare, compare him to Clive. There are all sorts of characters that range in all sorts of different spectrums and all sorts of different mediums. And some work great, some don't work at all. And I think the most important thing to start off with is, is talking about the protagonists. And the way you structure your protagonist, I think, is the most important thing. Because when you're writing a novel, and when you're reading a novel, your viewpoint always, 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 always is going to be through the protagonist's view. And I think from an editorial standpoint, the thing I see the biggest issue with is authors want to write from an omnipotent narrative. An omnipotent narrator. I myself fell into that same category when I very first started writing because I didn't necessarily see the importance of writing from point of view. But all of the details that it, everything that goes into show don't tell can be summarized in a point of view. You know, your main character isn't going to be able to see what the character across the room is doing. Your main character isn't going to be able to see what the villain is doing. They're not going to be able to know the feelings and emotions of any other character. And I think that. What bogs down a novel is when you focus too much on telling the whole entire thing through a narrator's point of view. And when you write strictly through point of view and you're writing only what the main character in that point of view is seeing and feeling, I feel like it's much more rewarding, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that's, that, that's the whole point behind it. And that's something that, um, um, putting this in, uh, in British terms, uh, it, it, the, we've got things here, uh, GCSEs and A-levels, exams you do. So you do like English language, English literature, stuff like that. A-levels you do when you're 18 and then you go on to you know, uh, pre-graduate stuff, uh, degree level stuff. Um, so what I did some uh, university level writing stuff, and this was one of the things which was absolutely hammered home, is what you mentioned about omnipotent narrative. So going with that first is, well, what is omnipotent narrative? It's where you, uh, where a writer writes about two, two guys doing a podcast and says, while they're doing the podcast, 
Uh, Brandon says this, but was thinking about this. Meanwhile, on the other side of the channel, Mark was thinking about it. It's like, stop there. You can't say what Mark was thinking about because you've said, you've already told the reader what Brandon was thinking about, which means you have established Brandon as the point of view character for this. Because otherwise, you're giving too much. There's The, the reader doesn't subconsciously feel and think that they're sussing stuff out for themselves. There's no reward uh, there's there's no payback for, for for getting stuck into it, so so yeah, and um, that's another another risk is well, um, so what was uh, Scott Washburn's um, Kings of War novel? Because I think he did the whole thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. From a single point of view, which is which is high risk. That's uh, that's maverick writing, because what if? your reader doesn't like the point of view character and you've only done one. So that's, um, that's why most people go for an ensemble cast. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm dancing around lots of different ideas here and I'm sure we can slow down and, and, and pick them apart one by <laughs> one. But um, the omnipotent narrative is largely avoided, but it's not, it's not a felony, it's not a crime. Some people will deliberately do it, uh, but it's considered, I suppose, quite an old-school way of telling a story because it's a very, very, very simple way to get that buy-in from the reader to make them feel as though they're, they're sussing things out and earning rewards for themselves subconsciously just by having things through one point of view in each scene. And you can jump to another point of view, that's absolutely fine. But really, by and large, it shouldn't be within the same scene. How do you... The biggest question is, how do you make a character? What goes into it? Do do you make them relatable? Do you make them hated? Do you make them likable? There's there's a question of how to structure your protagonist and how to make them the way that connects in some way. Because the, the biggest issue is you don't want a character, especially a protagonist, to be unrelatable. You want them to be relatable in some capacity because you don't want a protagonist to be unrelatable. Then the audience can't connect with what the character is saying and doing. You want them to be some connectability, even with an antagonist protagonist, if that makes sense. That's kind of... If I had to put down one word and say, what should a character be? One word. It's flawed. That is the most important thing to me. That That's not just as a writer, that's as an audience member. Um, I, I don't want to see a... I don't personally relate to and find interest in a character who is absolutely amazing at everything, who has all of the skills in the world, who has no weaknesses, and who everyone within this fictitious world absolutely loves and adores, and everything revolves mm-hmm. around them. That's, that's not interesting to me. Uh, for me, it's someone who has some real problems, and it's the journey for the character is about overcoming those problems and maybe they succeed maybe they fail but they, they try and um it's yeah it, that's what you relate to that's what you kind of root for is it's that classic underdog story i guess doesn't necessarily have to be as literal as that but for me you mentioned superheroes earlier um i think spider-man is a far 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 more relatable character than superman yeah there needs to be aspirations, there need to be goals, there need to be character development, and it, so many characters to history do it, right? And so many of them just fall on their sword. Um, I, I will start off with the controversial topic of saying I brought up the first two, Luke and Ray Skywalker, and I, I'm one of those, this is, again, 
this is a matter of opinion only, but I am one of those people who grew up watching episode four, five, and six, and I loved them. And I loved the journey of Luke Skywalker, and I found him such a great character. I remember playing with Luke Skywalker action figures as a kid, and just he was my ideal like hero. I, I really, really enjoyed Star Wars back then. And I found myself really falling out of Star Wars, and it's mostly because of the sequels and how they handled Luke versus Rey. And, uh, you know, it's been said to death about Rey's... Not Daisy Ridley as an actress, but as Rey Skywalker's handled character, I feel like just was poorly done. And I think it can also be attributed to you had multiple writers and directors working on the movies at the same time. But I, I just feel like they dishonored Luke by how they handled Rey, and I felt like it was, you know, you had this really strong, powerful character of Luke who who goes through hardship and trial, and, you know, he goes through a journey where, at the beginning, he's naive, and he's learning, but, oh, he lost Obi-Wan, he lost his teacher, well, that's okay, he's still gonna, he thinks he knows what he's doing, and then, guess what? The villain's his father, and he loses his hand all in one go, and you just see him struggle, and then when Luke comes back, he's, like, in much more, like, concentrated honed person and it's almost like the story that goes on in between the no in between the movies which is fleshed out in the novels is left to your interpretation so there is room that stuff has happened even the title crawl it says stuff has happened in between those two movies that has developed luke as a character and when you come back from into return of the jedi you see a much more honed uh masterful Luke Skywalker with his cloak and his dark gear and everything. And it's just, he's a much stronger character. And you see that change between the two movies. But meanwhile, Rey is kind of the same static character throughout the entirety of, she's already a master. She already knows everything. She doesn't need any help. She, she wards Luke away. And then that character of Luke would never get, even I was watching something the other day about how many times Mark Hamill tried to warn us about Luke's demise. And he even says like, this isn't the Luke that you're used to. Luke's character kind of falls and you know you have to analyze why is Luke a compelling character and what makes Rey not a compelling character yeah it's um it's a target audience I guess is, is a big part of it and um the, the the Disney Star Wars trilogy divisive but 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 not a, a um not, not a financial disaster not not until the end at least so mm. there's certainly a a huge audience out there of people who who love Ray as a character uh so, so there's clearly some success and there's clearly something there that some people like i would uh, again might be controversial might not uh, my guess would be that if you were to look at the look across Star Wars fans and people who are just like ambivalent to Star Wars, that the overwhelming majority of people will prefer Luke as a character to Rey, and it is because of the flaws, and it is because of being able to identify. It's because of the failures and the struggles, and the humility, and um, uh, and it is. It's it, this is the way that stories have been written for thousands of years. It's the classic hero's journey that, that that's been going on since you know um times uh of, of like homer and things like that this is this is not new, a new way to write a character and the way george lucas did it with luke skywalker it, it's a very time honored way there's um a, a phrase which gets banded around a lot by internet uh, expert critics is uh you know the self-insert power fantasy 
And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Both of those characters are power fantasies. Um, and it's, I just think it's just one of them is done very well, one isn't. It just... Characters are tricky, no matter what the setting, no matter what it is, but you have to... Your character has to fit the setting. I think that's a big thing. And a lot of people just, you know... It's tough, because your character can't... Who's to say your character can't be the optimistic, uh, heroic, I'm going to save the world in a desert wasteland of misery? Who's to say that your character can't be the point of somber realism in a world of rainbows and puppy dogs? You know, you have to write... What to you, Mark? What you know? What makes a, a character stand out and compelling? What works and what doesn't work? I mean, you said the hero's journey, which I 100% agree with, because when I was taking uh, college classes about writing, they said the hero's journey is the most powerful, potent thing in writing characters. But what do you think works besides that, and what what doesn't work for you? Um, flaws, 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 and more flaws. But the thing about the flaws is they, they have to be realistic, believable, everyday ones mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. So you uh, you look at yourself, you look at people you know, you look at people you admire and respect and, and think, yeah, but no one's perfect. Right. So right. What, what is it that this individual struggles with? What do they make mistakes with? And, and then try and put those in. And no one likes bad-tempered people, but it could be that they have a short temper, but they're still... So they, they bite people's heads off, but they're quick to apologise after it, and then you say, okay, so there's a more well-rounded individual. Uh, it, it could be that it's someone who is really quiet. It comes across as arrogant, but it's it's not. It's not arrogant, it's just someone who's introspective. And so a whole load of people dislike them uh, within the book, um, but it's it's not it's not just it's not fair. So you'll end up rooting for them because you know underneath all of that they're genuinely a good person. Mm-hmm. And again, mm-hmm. with um, with what we said with uh, Ray Palpatine as a character, that's someone who absolutely everyone who encounters that character loves, adores her, and and their entire kind of reason for being is what can I do to impress Ray? And that, that's I don't find that an endearing quality. Um, whereas if you get some characters who actually look at, look at someone like the under, classic underdog story, like Rocky, everyone loves Rocky, surely. You know, th- there's someone who works really hard, who came from nothing, and who faces adversity, and you're rooting for it. It's the little guy who's who, who's who's come from nothing. So yeah, I think it's it's the challenge and it's the flaws and it's overcoming obstacles. That's that's that, that's stuff that people relate to. Um, I think it's quite a big difference again between the way Marvel and DC uh, back in the day, back in the kind of mm-hmm. pre-Disney uh, takeover era. That that's the way they used to do things. I always preferred Marvel characters to DC, um, and I know that's controversial because DC are hugely successful and people love Superman and Batman and stuff like that, and and that's cool. But for me. Characters like Spider-Man um, had flaws and faults and issues to overcome, whereas it's like, uh, you know, what's Bruce Wayne's uh, flaw and fault? Well, he's an orphan. That's, that's, that's not a flaw and fault. That's a, that's a reason to be sympathetic to the character. That's something they endured and went through. Uh, where it's like, well, what else you got about the character? He's incredibly good-looking, billionaire, who's also IQ is off the chart and knows Kung Fu better than anyone in the world. He, he's uh, Superman. What's his superpower? Well, everything. 
And so those two characters, to me, don't don't draw me in as much as someone like Spider-Man, who uh, has got all sorts of, you know, relatable things going wrong in his life, which I, I find more endearing, really. Let's kind of, I think we can kind of agree that a character, to be compelling, needs to be relatable in some form, and they need to have flaws that, you know, make them relatable. You know, you can make a character hated. You can make your your audience hate a protagonist if that's what you're going for. But they have to have that also relatability to be hated. Why are they hated? What 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 is the message you're trying to get? If you want if you want to make a hated protagonist, if you want the audience to go, this guy is a jerk. You got to have the payoff at some point. You got to go on the hero's journey. I think at some point to make that case. Because if you just have this guy who, or this person who is just extremely disliked, and you know they're not nice, they're rude. Well, where's the comeuppance? It has to be a comeuppance. You don't want to write a story about this person is an antagonistic person, and that's it. And their whole journey is they're a jerk. That doesn't. That's not a relatable story by any means. I mean, is the world full of jerks? Yes, but even those jerks can find something relatable in a hero story because, in a lot of times, the people who are stuck up and arrogant think they're the hero in their own story. So, a lot of times, <laughs> people who aren't nice—if they read a story about somebody who's not nice—they're not going to relate to it because, in their eyes, they're a hero in some way or form. So. You have to find relatable traits, and you have to have that character go on a journey, either of redemption, of finding something, of finding something about themselves. The journey is the most important part of the character that makes them relatable. I think those are the two most important things, relatability and the journey, correct? Yeah, I, I'd agree with it. Um, it's uh, it's interesting getting the feedback on that when you put these relatable traits in, and, and some of them can be pretty dark, you know? Uh so um, some some of them can be not just simple stuff that all of us go through. You could have uh, real um, how do I put it? It's a, this this will need editing out. Um, yeah, you you could have some really unenviable character flaws which that character needs to work through Mm -hmm. Um, and by the end of it you do need to have the payoff which needs to come one of two ways either they see the error of their ways and they become a better person in which case you're following that journey along and going this is a person who has uh, it could be racism sexism something that which is universally accepted as wrong and but by the end of it one or two things has happened either they've seen the error of their ways and become a better person, or they've had their comeuppance and got their just desserts, or both. And um, but I, uh, I, I've certainly had it when I've, I've tried to go for the darker themes with that, and then you, you end up with some um, readers will come back and say, "I was really uncomfortable by that," and it's like that—that's the whole point. That's why I put it there because it's supposed to be a darker theme to say this character is not a perfect person. They've got some real bad parts to their their character. Um, but you will still get a, a small number of readers will say, okay, so the character feels that way, ergo the author does. I said, well, no, no. I mean, uh, for all of us in the writing within the war game inside of things, we write about uh, people killing other people. It does, doesn't mean that all of us have killed other people. It's like it, it's, it's a work of fiction, and uh, it will have darkness in it. But 
I, I think you, I think it's really important for a well-rounded character that you do need to have these flaws, but it doesn't mean that the author endorses those flaws, as obvious as that sounds. And I think most people get that. But yeah, no, you bring up a very great point, and that's something that I think more readers need to really understand, is that the characters are created by an author, yes, but that doesn't mean that the author sympathizes or agrees with any of the points. I mean, that's like saying, well, the author made this bad guy who did a really bad thing, so clearly he supports the bad guy. No, it, the, it you know, just because an author makes characters does not mean he stands by the viewpoints of any of the characters. That's why it's fiction. You know, it, everybody is supposed should have flaws. So, just because you create a sexist character does not does not mean that you're a sexist. Just because the sexist character has a good ending does not mean you support sexism. But that's that character's flaw to work on. You know, and a lot of times that sexist character will have a moment of, oh, I need to change my ways. And just because it's not the focus of the novel at that point does not mean that it's being supported by the author. You know, that's something that really I think readers should take away. I think we've entered this age of new age, even when I was in college, you know, there was classes I took that were focused on criticism and overthinking of what the author meant. And I don't think that every single piece of fiction needs to be hyper-analyzed and looked at what is the author trying to support. I think that a story should be read as a good story without an over-analyzation of what the author is trying to do. Characters in these works that we publish are characters, and they don't necessarily, I don't think any of them represent the views of the authors. Um, we've brought him up a few times, Ben Stoddard, with his book, Drowned Secrets. His character was a very morally gray character who made questionable decisions, and some of them paid off, some of them didn't. But does that mean Ben's a morally gray person? No, Ben's a very upstanding individual who I've had the pleasure of knowing over these years, but I didn't once think, just because his character murders a zombie person does not mean that Ben supports murder. No, I don't think that, that one does not correlate to the other at all. Yeah, my, my favourite of all, we mentioned comic books a bit, and when I used to be into them a lot more, I, I, I used to love reading Punisher comics, and I, I mm -hmm. loved that character, and that is a dark character. That is darker than anything I have ever written, and uh, I, I love that character, but that doesn't mean I support the vigilante movement or idea. It means it's, right. it's a work of fiction. Even taking a, a step back from that, I mentioned at the start of this whether it survives the edit or not, about um, oh, uh, over here in the UK, uh, A levels, and when I did um, A level, which is the exams you do when you're eighteen, um, I did English literature. And when we were analysing any existing piece of work, we were we were told for for this exam that you analyse things on plot, character, and theme, and that that was the framework you analysed something on. So it's like okay, so so what are we talking about? Well, character is character. That's what we've been talking about here for the past twenty minutes or so. Now, when we get to plot or theme you'd look at a uh, plot 
So Tarantino movies uh, classically have very uh, dynamic, flowing, convoluted, or in times, plots. Really complex stuff. Um, whereas theme, you look at something really thematic, like Lord of the Rings. Uh, Lord of the Rings makes a lot of commentary on the potential evils of industrialization. It talks a lot about World War One in places uh, and what the author went through um, on the front lines in World War One. So you see that thematic stuff. It's not as direct. It's not as in your face. It's not on the nose, but it's it's there. Right. And um, I think if you were to analyze what is an author trying to say, that's more getting into theme, not character. Right. Uh, right. So, so, so it can be. So, so what would be another theme? Uh, Starship Troopers. Uh, not the movie, the book. There's a lot of theme in that book, an awful lot of theme. There's themes like um, uh, uh, that uh, you should only vote if you're a citizen, and you you can only be a citizen if you've done military service. Ergo, in that world, you have to have done military service to be allowed to vote, and that's a pretty right-wing theme. So um, the author has classically been judged on that quite a lot. But if you were to look at the the, uh, the characters of any of these, yeah, for me personally, I think having a character do something, that, that would be like having a go at George Lucas for the actions of Emperor Palpatine. It's like he made a bad right. guy. It's like, yeah, that, that's, that's the whole point. Right. And you know what? I, I want to give an example before we switch gears into antagonists and other party members. And I want to talk about um, an example of a character that didn't work in our writing. Uh, most of our characters that we publish, the novels that we publish all, I, I think, follow these rules of having a journey and having flaws. Those are things that I really look for, and I try not to, I try to work with the authors to not have characters who are good at everything and they don't have any challenge. You know, there's got to be a way for the characters to develop. And some authors do it better than other authors. Some are very more pronounced with the, the developments and some are kind of let it on the sidelines. And when you write sequels and everything, that you have to have that flow in there too, a new challenge for the character. Um, but one example of uh, that didn't work, that I had to have the author rewrite, there was a novel that we were working on, and I was having, I was struggling with the character because the author continuously had everybody enamored by the protagonist, and he was the most polite person. And it was almost without question, he was accepted by everyone. And I, I told him that he needed to put in some more challenges for the protagonist to encounter, to, you know, make them more relatable. So the author then put in on the second draft a fire that was happening. And the protagonist had to go and uh, save the people in the fire. And then he was the hero in that situation too. And I, I said to him, I'm like, oh, we need to stop having the protagonist come to conclusions like that. He needs to actually be challenged. More. You know, if he's going to go in a fire, he has to come out with some injury then. And even if it's a light scarring or something that affects him moving forward, even if it's something that's niggling in the background for a little bit and then goes away, it needs to be something that, happens to give development one of the examples that i can come up with is in my novel rebirth of courage i i i've been i was trying i've been constantly trying to seed in areas of the the party has had an encounter a fighting encounter of some sort 
not everybody's going to escape every single time perfect. But that said, not everybody's going to wind up with a broken arm, broken leg every single time. So I've been trying to, to add in little things like, oh, his he hurt his ankle, so he needs to be careful embrace it moving forward and maybe in the next fight he's tender on his ankle oh he got a couple scratches on his arm so maybe his arm's a little tender you know those are the things you want to you want to keep flowing so that way characters are relatable and not god killing machines and that's actually something that mark has helped me with when he was going through the revisions with me is that you know you want to put in these flaws that way not you know the fights don't want to be premeditated you don't want to go into a battle scene and know well everybody's been scot-free so far even though I'm a type of person who I don't like to use death so commonly as some other uh, more modern authors, I still want there to be that hesitation in author in readers' minds when they're reading it saying, ooh, is this going to be a fight where something's going to happen? Is everybody going to be okay? What's the extent of the injuries? I don't want it to be necessarily, yeah, everything's going to be fine. It's just a showcase of weapons and that's it. That's not compelling. That doesn't tell a good story. That's, I think, Mark, you said when you first read the very first draft, it was you, you glanced over fights because it was so predictable. You want to add that element of unpredictability into fights to make it more compelling to read. Yeah, um, it, it's trying to get it's trying to strike a balance for me. And all of this stuff, everything we're talking about here, it's all personal preference. I don't think right. there's any wrong answer. Right. Right. It's all personal right. preference. Uh, so I've said earlier, you know, uh, Superman and Batman don't grip me as much. I still, I, I still love, uh, I still love them as characters. Right. They, they, they right. just, they're just, they're just not top of the tree for me. I still think they're great. Just by, um, they're, yeah, they're, they're still great characters and they're, they're timeless characters that'll be with us forever. They're awesome. Right, striking the balance, fight scenes, power levels, all that sort of stuff. Really, uh, that that really ties in as well for when you're writing stuff which is in within IPs within war game fiction. That that really matters. So, uh, what is striking the balance? Well, for for me, um, one side of the spectrum would be that you have no fear at any point for the character you are rooting through to make it through to the end because. Uh, Every single encounter they face, there's never any hardship. They never get a scratch. They never get knocked down. They just plow through everything with, without even flinching. Um, then you're not really worrying about them. You're not as emotionally invested in them. That would be one side. Right. The other side right. for me would be, uh, again, Game of Thrones. Hugely, hugely successful, and I'm not knocking it in any way. It's, it's better than anything I could ever do. I get that, but it's not for me. Uh, it's a personal preference thing. It's not for me because everybody dies in it. There's no point in emotionally investing in anyone because you know there's a very good chance they're going to die, and they're going to die horribly. So, exactly. So for me, that, that doesn't draw me in. It's, it's, for me, it's got to be something in the middle, which I appreciate is rich because I've, I've written books for, for Wing to Sar where no one dies and everyone gets through to the end. Um, and I think there is a time for that, but certainly they, they took um, uh, the, the, the book I'm thinking of in particular at the moment. Um, those characters took big hits along the way. They needed help along the way. They had major injuries along the way. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, I, uh, I, I think that's what it is. And it's down to the individual author and for their for, for the reader to know what they like and don't like uh, there's, there's a sliding scale between uh just having a absolute powerhouse of a character who is never ever challenged to um a bloodbath where no one survives and and everything in between and yeah so it's, it's about getting that balance right i think and you know with our work you know we have compelling characters in the sense of you can read uh steps of deliverance where you have ryan 
a powerful character who is conflicted. And then you can also read Ascent of the Goblin King, which is about a antagonistic goblin who is the protagonist in this sense, who still has goals and aspirations, and you cheer for them. You know, we have a range, I think, that we do well of characters who are compelling in different shades of gray, and different authors do different shades well, and I think that's a good thing about our publishing house and about our novels that we tell is that we tell stories about compelling characters at the end of the day. That is, whether it's in wargaming or whether it's in standalone fiction, I always stand by how strong our characters are. And I'm, I really am a believer in making sure that happens before the novels go to print. Yeah, um, that plot character theme thing. Different authors go for different things. For, for me, I'm not clever enough to come out with thematic stuff. I, uh, I don't have sweeping worldviews, I want to say, like Tolkien did, saying, I, you know, the guy survives World War I. Most of his friends are killed. He sees horrors that the majority of the human race will never have seen. And he's got things to say. And that's incredible. And that's laudable. I, I, I'm not that guy. I don't, so I don't put thematic stuff. I, I, I don't. Plot, again, some people do some really, really clever uh, plot twists and turns. I'm, I'm, that's, that's not what I want to write. That's not what I enjoy. I want a real simple plot which is there purely as a vehicle for the readers to um, to get to know the characters far, far better. And for me, 95% of the effort and the prep of any novel I write will go into the characters. That's that's what drags me in. But it's, it's different things with different people. Some people might do absolutely paper-thin characters because there isn't time to get to know them because the plot is so complex. And that works too. That's just a different way of doing it. Right. Before we shift gears a little bit and change to uh, some other like, antagonists and party members and other topics, I just want to shout out today's sponsor, uh, On Military Matters, your source for new, used, and out-of-print books on military history, wargaming, and modeling. Check them out at onmilitarymatters.com and make sure to sign up for the weekly e-flyer. So we've talked about protagonists pretty much this whole show. But there's more to a cast of characters than that. I mean, the protagonists are the central point of the, any novel. I mean, we, it's evident that we spent a bunch of time talking about them because of how central they are. But the antagonists, I argue, are almost just as important as well as the surrounding cast. And then, you know, in addition to that, I want to pose a question to talk about in a little bit of, you know, character death and shock. You know, let's talk about that in a little bit. But let's start off with antagonists. Um, you know, the difference between a good antagonist and a bad antagonist is motive and, you know, relatability as well. You know, you the, the difficult thing, and I think television and movie have kind of spurred at least my generation to think this way, is you don't want to make the bad guy bad just for the sake of having an antagonist. You don't want to make every... You don't want to make villains a mustache-twirling antagonist who just, I want to kill everybody because I want to kill everybody. I want to ruin the world because I don't like happy. A real good antagonist has to have relatability just as much as the protagonist does. Um, I think you really hit the nail on the head in Steps to Deliverance, and I think that's the thing that people talk the most about in that novel is the character of Dion and how he was this community hero that fell to darkness 
and he was he was a person everybody respected and loved but the darkness was more powerful than anything you know the sway of power and what that commanded to save his people outweighed his heroics and and that made for a compelling character yeah i um i said in the last episode was it the last episode we've been here a long time haven't we i've been trapped in this room um, yeah with uh say so just, just talk man talk about stuff um i think it was the last episode where i said steps to deliverance is if i could go back and do it again i'd do it differently and yes dion's fall from light to dark was too quick i could i think i could do that better with a bit more experience now um but you've only got so that's not the story. The story, the, the story was ultimately it's kind of a Ryan's story, really. It wasn't supposed to be. He was supposed to be the secondary character. It was supposed to be Tancred's story, but Ryan's cooler and better looking. So, um, so yeah, Dion. Uh, that was a really, really simple uh, and old-fashioned way of writing a antagonist, which is exactly what you said, which is um, one way, not the only way, one way um, within the, the writer's textbook, if you will, uh, of writing an antagonist is, uh, is to, to make them believe they're doing the right thing. And again, even if you look at... Keep, I keep harking back to, uh, to Star Wars... Uh, Palpatine, he's there saying once he, he, his, his evil plan, which he does, he does a good evil laugh, it's brilliant, but he does says there will be peace and order in the galaxy. That's his ultimate aim. And it's, it's really evil the way he goes about it, but he, he thinks he's the good guy. Um, and uh, that, that's, a, that, that's a pretty time-honoured way of writing a decent bad guy, is to have them think that what they're doing is right and that they're the person who has to make the hard choices that no one else is willing to do to get to the good end state. So that's what I, that's what I tried to do with that character. Uh, I think, um, again, with the benefit of a, a few years more experience now, it was clunky in places, it could be better. But I think you've always got to go back and review your own stuff and and see that. Um, I've I, I've ripped on DC. Uh, look at the Joker as a um, as a bad guy. There's an absolutely fantastically crafted bad guy. Well, depending on which which version, there's been so many. But that isn't a bad guy who thinks they're doing the right thing. Um, so, so there's other ways of doing it. It's like here's someone who is fundamentally evil and cackling and stuff, but is is just so well done. I think in in terms of well, which would be my favourite version of it, probably the Michael Keaton Batman. So so Jack Nicholson's version was was just amazing, and that's that's the the charisma of the actor, I suppose, in a lot of ways. But um, yeah, there's, there's different ways of doing it. Is is my uh, is what I'm trying to get to in a very long and rambly way. Oh uh, no, you're right. But there's also you know villains. <sighs> Antagonist should be done in one of two ways, I think. I think that you really need to have an antithesis to the protagonist. So you want to have somebody who is completely different to the protagonist. So that way they, they feed off each other. Or you want to have the antagonist have followed in the protagonist's steps, but they're two steps away. You know, it, they were similar to the protagonist in some point, and then something happened to change them. And this is the path that protagonists could go down if they follow the similar path. I think those are two of the most compelling antagonists to me. Yeah, I, we always want to avoid having the bad guy say, we're not so different, you and I. 
But uh, I've done it. I've I've done it. And um, again, steps to deliverance gets mentioned a lot. I've written other stuff, I promise. Um, but uh, there is uh, there's there's a goodie and a baddie in steps to deliverance who have very very similar backstories. And uh, as the uh, as the baddie says to the goodie, words to the effect of you you know you you're one bad bad day away from becoming me. And uh, it's a trope. It is definitely a trope. Even maybe a cliche, which I think is when a... What's the difference for me? A, a cliche is when a trope goes bad. And, uh, and there, are some, there are some cliches in my writing. I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, uh, immune to them. But, um, yeah, I, um, I think bad guys can be written that way. It can work. Um, sometimes there is, uh, particularly in like a in a fantasy, high fantasy setting, there is some benefit in just having someone who's just evil. There's something satisfying about seeing them lose when you want a, a, a kind of uplifting end to the story. So yeah, there's, there's definitely different ways of doing it. So yeah, I mean, the antagonists are just as important to any novel as the protagonists are, but also so is the... So are the supporting cast. And whether you have a big cast, a small cast, I think you need to have some cast that supports the main character. And, you know, that's an episode that we have planned. Maybe the next one or the one after that, but we're going to be talking about supporting cast. But you need to have people that the main character can bounce off. If you're, It depends also on your main character's traits. You know, if you've got the dark, brooding main character, you want him to have somebody light-hearted and talkative to bounce off of, so that way your main character doesn't have to speak as much, and he can think in narration, and the supporting character can talk. Um, if you've got a character who's upbeat and talkative, you want to have somebody who's a little bit more stoic to bounce off of. And while it helps to have two characters who can talk to each other and have that repertoire, that's what a diversity in cast helps with. It helps to create that dynamic. And I think that's something a lot of authors struggle with, is that they're so hyper-focused on writing and narration that they forget that dialogue has such an important plot in, de- in developing the characters. You know, everybody wants to move the plot along, but the plot can be moved along while still taking time out to just have characters talk for a little bit. Honestly, my one of my favorite parts in any RPG, and this is done so well in Dragon Age and just recently as I'm playing Baldur's Gate 3, when the characters are walking around the world and they have banter with each other, my heart kind of melts because I'm like, oh, here is two characters I enjoy. And, you know, in that case, you are almost a silent protagonist. You have choices that you can say, but you, you don't have vocal options. You have choices. So, and this is a case of you're already making all the choices throughout, but now your characters get to have some say. And that helps to add to them and add to how you see them because, you know, in a lot of these games, and even in a lot of stories, the characters, the supporting cast interacts with the main character primarily. That's the main vessel for telling the story. But when you have characters talking amongst each other that aren't the protagonist, I think that also helps make them compelling in 3D. Because you can see how two other characters of two completely different ideologies and thoughts are interacting with each other. I think that's cool. I'm kind of going into a bit of a tangent because this is sort of more video game stuff, I guess, but still very characters. But for me, Dragon Age Origins was a 
a masterclass in storytelling because of what it did yep. with characters. I it's probably been done a million times since then, but I put I had never seen it done before where you're wandering around in a relatively open world and depending on which characters you choose from your uh, supply of people to back you up, they may have a perfectly pleasant conversation behind you as you're wandering around, or they could be at each other's throats, and uh, de- depending on 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 which two you picked, and and that was just that was a brilliant way of um, adding this this really dynamic, real world feel to these people, uh, which which I thought was done really well. Um, taking a step back from that and back into uh, characters versus the plot side of it. Um, my, if I had to pick my favourite novel of all time, it's a novel called Piece of Cake by Derek Robinson, which is about a uh, fighter squadron in the first year of World War Two, and there is no plot. The the, the plot's absent. The, the book starts on the minute, basically about the hour that World War Two is declared, and it ends 365 days later in the middle of a combat scene, which, which you don't know how it ends because a year has, has elapsed. And all it does is tell you the stories of this cast of characters, these 12 fighter pilots who die and are replaced, who die and are replaced, and you jump from person to person, and you don't really get to know that much about them because it's so fleeting because they're killed off so quickly, because tragically, that's what the uh, mortality rate was. Um, And they're also really well balanced because they have flaws. They're not all uh, square-jawed heroes. Some of them are bad, bad people who, who have got a hard job to do and do the job well. But it's about so much of that book is not about combat. It's not about plot. It's just about conversations at a bar between people. And that's what the book mm-hmm. is about. And it is so well done. It is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I mean, at the core of it, when you're reading a novel versus reading a textbook, there's a fundamental difference. When you're reading a textbook, you're reading facts. When you are reading a novel, you are being put in the shoes of the protagonist. That's the whole point of the point of view. And I think that you need to have that relatability. Again, as we've been saying, that relatability to have the person reading the book interested in the stories. And I think, circle back a little bit, I I think any author who's looking to try to up their game on characters and making them defined, unique, and fleshed out should either play Dragon Age Origins, it's cheap and runs on any computer on Steam, or watch playthroughs on YouTube, watch the character videos, because honestly, like Mark said, I, I, I think that out of all the RPGs I've played, they have done character development and characterization the best, and they have a cast of compelling characters that years later, I can't even tell you how many years it's been, at least a decade, I still hearken back to that game and look at how they did characters and plot and everything and think of it, it's a masterclass in writing. So I think any aspiring authors listening to this, you should at least go check out Dragon Age Origins on Steam. If you have any type of working laptop, it should work fine. You can put the settings on low. I don't think you'll be disappointed with the way the characters are structured and the way the game plays to your strengths of character. Yeah, it, it, it is so well done. And for me, kind of writing in fantasy settings, I, uh, when I stop and think I think about it, I, I, I took a lot from that. It was so well done. It, it, it's, and it's, it was, I think it was in an era as well, because it is quite an old game where, 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 yep. vid, where computer games, video games didn't have the respect and credibility that they do now as a 
oh, it sounds like a really pretentious thing to say, but as an art form, I guess. Yeah, no, you're right. And um, but but it, it it was absolutely fantastic storytelling, but character driven storytelling. So I I get snippets of feedback about the stuff I write, and I think uh, for someone who wants to write characters, I entered this industry uh, naively thinking that people would would love my characters and talk about my characters and that that's not going to happen you've got to really hit it out the park in a kind of Sherlock Holmes level of here's a a character for for all time level to to really get to that but um, when when people have come back and said um, with with, I think it's more with the um, the Kings of War side of things uh, yeah, fight scenes, nice, very well done and all that, replicate the game, lovely, but uh, I wanted to skip through that because what I wanted to get to was the bit where I see how the characters interact with each other in these bits between the fights. And for me, I've prob- I think I've subconsciously taken that from Dragon Age Origin because all I was doing was desperately trying to get through the fights, which I wasn't very interested in, to get more to the character development and interaction that goes on in between them in in Dragon Age Origin, which is so well done. Before we wrap up, one of the last things I want to talk about today is mortality. You know, we read these books, at least I do, and I think a majority of readers do, to enter a world of fantasy. Doesn't doesn't matter the setting, whether it's a fantasy genre, sci-fi, real world, romance, horror. We want to enter a world that is different than our own. And I think one of, one of my personal issues that I have, and you brought it up earlier, Mark, is death. You know, shows and books like Game of Thrones and Walking Dead are fantastically written. And fantastically portrayed, and the the I cannot say enough good about them. On the one hand, but they when the television shows where both of those things came out, they happened at the same time, and I think I suffered from mortality overload because both of those shows deal heavily with don't get invested in these characters because they're all going to die. And I remember just week after week watching both of them being like, oh my god, they're killing everyone. I'm like, why am I watching these shows? I don't feel any bit excited. I just get disappointed because everybody dies and the antagonists don't have their comeuppance yet. It's still not going to come up for another few seasons. And when they do, it's lackluster. So I, I really, you know, I've always been of the mind frame of we have enough dark fantasy. Let's bring some high fantasy and some hopefulness back to the genre. But it happened to me even more when I, I was watching that. And I'm just like, it just we're doing death too much nowadays. And, and I think and I understand there's a relatability to that. And I understand that, you know, we are mortals and life is precious. And that's part of what a lot of the authors are working towards is, you know, Life is precious, don't take things for granted, and learn from the sacrifice of others. But it gets to a point where it's like, you have to, you can read these in any novel, and you can look at a scene a character dies in. I'm not talking about just Winged Huster novels, I'm talking about any novels. You look at a scene a character dies in, and you can rework it and go, what would have been different if this character lived? What would have been different if this character was just written out instead of dying? Now, that's a big thing I try to stress to authors, and something we worked at worked with in the early days of Wild West Exodus. The lore master of that said he wanted to kill off 
one of the characters that historically there were the younger brothers and i think it was cole younger who he wanted to kill off in the um jesse james trilogy and it wasn't even at like a climax point it was just during the last battle he wanted to kill off cole younger that's fine it was his story we did it well then in the anthology we did for that he said okay well i want him to focus on the younger brothers i'm like okay uh and he says all right well cole younger is blah 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 and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. he's dead you killed him in the last book. He goes, well, find a way to bring him back to life. And I'm like, we could have avoided this whole thing if we just wrote the character out instead of killing him. You know, it's that point of how much shock value do you really need in writing? How much purpose does the death serve that is, quote unquote, necessary where you can go another route? You know, I in my writing, in my standalone series... I have characters that are dead pre-coming into the book. But they died for different reasons, and it didn't happen on screen. Um, I don't have any main characters, supporting characters, die mid-text because I don't see a point in it. It doesn't serve a purpose to me. Um, Other authors... There was that. I forget if it was you, Mark, or somebody else I was working with that I said, you know, let's not kill this character. Let's write them out because we can bring them back another point. And we didn't kill the character. You know, there, there's ways to go about it. And I think that I just personally am of the belief that death is too overdone in novels. Yeah, as, as well as it being overdone in storytelling now, that there's also how, how final should it be? Um, one of the uh, the big writers, I, again, I think it was a, a Marvel writer, um, only in the last couple of weeks said that um, death is undone so much in the MCU that it, it doesn't really matter anymore. That used to be if if a if a character dies on screen or they die in a, a graphic novel, whatever it might be, that it really hits you hard. Whereas now it's, yeah. it's all right. They'll, they'll they'll be back in six months because death is meaningless. And so so that that's the one side to it. Death death should be feared. Um, it, it's a powerful tool um, in in an author's toolbox. But on the other side of it, if everyone is just dropping dead, there's no emotional investment, and also it it ceases to have its impact. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's to be used sparingly, and I, I, I got to admit, I'm, I'm I'm very much of the of the same mindset as your good self, in that um, for me, yeah, stories can have a a dark ending, a, a sinister ending, uh, 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 well, in tonally, but ultimately, <clears throat> I kind of want a, 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 an overall uh, elements of a happy ending. I mean, what have I what what have we done together recently? We did Faith Aligned and Hero Falling, so Faith Aligned. Well, the bad guys win without putting too fine a point on it. The bad guys win, uh, but the the majority of the uh, protagonists they they survive, and they survive as better people, as stronger people, and having achieved something yep. and with hope ahead of them. Um, Hero falling again. Spoilers. Skip if you intend to buy it and read it. But uh, Hero falling, they all survive. Um, but there's the the, the the there's the kind of despair and the hopeless that again in that the baddies win. The uh, the big evil that they went to stop, they're too late. They don't stop it. Um, yeah. And the, the the main character, the uh, the heroine, she doesn't get the guy. It, it doesn't end the way that it should have done because of her stubbornness. 
And um, so, yeah, I, I, um, did, I, I tried to do all of that to say, well, here's some, some uplifting parts of it, but balanced. But there's not much death. There's not much, oh, yeah, and this person dies, and this person dies, and this person dies, because it closes a lot of doors for you. It's overdone, and it's to be used sparingly if you want it to have impact. Yeah, I mean, you can end a novel with the bad guys winning and still have it have impact of hope. I mean, it, it's the quintessential example of uh, Empire Strikes Back. Bad guys win. Luke loses his hand. They lost Han. Everything ended poorly. But there's still that scene at the end where Luke and Leia and C-3PO and R2-D2 are in the medical bay and they're just staring out into space and there's that sense of hope that it's not over yet. And I think that we should focus more on that. If you want the, if you want dark, then have the bad guys win, but let there be a sense of hope. You know, I, I don't see... I, I, think mo- I think the best example of how death has become mainstream is I think you hit it on the head with the Marvel. Jean Grey has died and come back to life so many times. So many times. And when a character does die in Marvel, it's so rare that they stay dead. But the few examples of when they do stay dead are just terrible because there's always characters I like. And I'm like, why are you killing my character? Like, what was the point of that? Write them out. Don't use them for a while. Why kill them? What? Why? <laughs> you know, you, you reach that example of if they're dead, what are the overlasting effects? You can't use them because they're dead unless you cheat death. I actually just recently went in this example, and I'll give a little bit of a background information for a future novel I'm writing down the line. One of the later Dragoon Clan novels that I'm working on, again, I have this whole entire series planned out, but one of the later novels I had planned for a character to die and come back to life. And in my, in looking at it years later, I said to myself, well, why is this character going to die? What's the point of them dying? Especially if they're going to come back to life. It doesn't serve a point. So instead, I tweaked that to be something different, where that character just becomes inaccessible for a while, but they're still alive, quote-unquote. And it gets, rede- it gets um, resolved later on. But, you know, you have to look at your, why you were killing somebody, and does the plot serve a purpose without it? Can you continue the novel without it? Can you continue the plot line without it? Why do it, then? Yeah, I, if you do this, this uh, another bit of a trope, this classic um, phoenix rising from the ashes, it can be done quite well, I think. If you kill a hero in a setting where you say that it's something they have to go through to, to come back stronger, um, better able to combat evil, whatever it might be, uh, it can be done well. But again, I, I keep saying the same thing again and again here. Sparingly, it's to be done sparingly, otherwise it just loses its impact. I agree. And one last thing I want to touch on, because I didn't, we didn't really fully touch on it, I do want to explore it just briefly. Tropes. Character tropes are no longer character tropes. So the things that we've always called character tropes aren't even tropes anymore because of the fact that everybody is trying to put a spin on the trope. Again, there is no such thing as originality anymore. If you think about a concept, it's been done. Even things I've come up with for Dragoon Clan, like just ideas I have for novels, they've been done in some capacity since the time I've come up with the original idea. Like, I play games, I watch shows, I'm like, they did that! 
that is exactly what I had in mind, and I had to tweak the idea a little bit so it doesn't copy based off of a copyrighted claim of some sort. Even though an idea cannot be copyrighted, I don't want to bounce off of another already existing franchise. Then somebody go, oh, it was already done, and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's impossible to have originality. So I think that we've leaned so far out of using tropes, the misguided tropes are now the tropes. You know, there's always... Originally it was like, the bard. And now you've gone so far out of the useless bard that you now have... The useless bard is really an assassin. That those two classes have kind of become intermingled in, like, D&D sense. You know, a lot of times you can put the bard and the assassin in the same category because they've become one class. We've strayed from the useless, like, weak bard because people don't want to see that as a character anymore. So that's not really the trope anymore. You you put a you put a bard that follows the party and sings about their exploits. It's not necessarily a new trope, or it's not necessarily a, a trope because it's so less used. I think I haven't seen The Witcher, so correct me if I'm wrong if you've seen it, Mark. But Jasper, is that the name of the bard? Oh, I don't know. I played I got into Witcher 3. I played into it a little bit. It it, it was cool, but it wasn't for me, so I haven't seen it. I haven't I haven't seen the Netflix stuff. Well, I'm going to I'm going to make a few assumptions here and our listeners can correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I've seen, Jasper is kind of like the bard that follows the party or, or follows Geralt around. Geralt if I'm pronouncing it again, I apologize. I have not seen any of The Witcher. I know. Shoot me with your flaming arrows. I apologize. But he follows the main character around. And he's kind of like, from what I've seen of the teasers, he's an actual bard. And you don't see it too much anymore. And that might be why they went with that route. is because it is not a trope anymore. It's fallen out of um, use. Again, I more commonly than nine, any video game, any movie I see, if you have a bard in the group, they're an assassin as well. They're not just skilled at playing the loot. They've also got these daggers up their sleeve and they're going to murder somebody. So I think that the word trope needs to be... I think people need to stop focusing on critique on tropes because I think tropes can be helpful, especially when we, you know, everything is been done. You need to lean on something that you can find tried and true. There, there are certain character personalities that when I see authors write i'm like oh i can relate i can understand where that character flows fits into the flow you know i personally and this is something again we'll talk about in the character party video but my perfect composition especially when i'm playing games or when i'm reading or writing whatever i like a main character i like a love interest i like the sarcastic best friend or the stoic best friend or you put them both in there and you have the sarcasm you have the sarcasm in one character and the stoicism in the other character and i think you have a well-rounded relatable party whether it's been done to death or not, I find enjoyment in that. Yeah, um, b- being done to death for me, um, th- there's a reason stuff gets done to death. It's because it's successful and it's good. So over here on my side of the channel, uh, there's a, yeah author called Bernard Cornwell who um, you may have heard of Sean Bean. He dies in everything on TV. <laughs> But over over on this side, he was kind of propelled into fame. One of the things he did early in his career was a character called Richard Sharp, who was a uh, a, a officer in the British Army in the Napoleonic era. Yep. Uh, so yep, yep. yeah. Uh, anyway, so 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 the the books. One of the criticisms which have, has gone towards those books, which are phenomenally successful and and from a historical point of view, they are amazing. Um, is that they're all the same. 
that every single one is okay so what happens in this book in sharp well uh sharp who's come up through the ranks he's an ex-ranker not a real officer um he ends up having an argument with a real officer who's actually um not a nice person at all bit of a coward Far too more money than sense, bought his rank. Uh, then there'll be some uh, probably relatively upper class girl who will fall in love with Sharp. He'll get the girl. He'll lose at something to the bad guy officer. He'll then get his comeuppance later on and probably uh, beat Seven Shades out of him. And then every second book he'll get promoted. And they're all the same. And it doesn't. And from my point of view, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that they're all the same because they're all fantastic. Um, so sometimes familiar, familiarity can be a great thing. And Bernard Cornwall's right. gone on to, to write other stuff. He's written uh, Sharp in Agincourt. He's written Sharp in all sorts of settings, and it's given him a different name, but it's still Sharp, and it's still the same formula, and it's still excellent. And I, I, I still love them. I still think they're great. And you, you don't always need to have your expectations subverted. Um, right. that, that stupid phrase which gets, which gets banded around, yeah, cool. Having something really original and groundbreaking, if it can be done, that that's great. But for for people who rip into traditional storytelling, um, I, I I don't I I don't I, I think old old fashioned ways of t- telling stories uh, can be really well done. And uh, and Bernard Cornwell is is perhaps the best example I can think of as to someone who does tell that traditional story but does it really well every time and never disappoints. Um, and yeah, you said about original characters and not. I mean, I look at what I've written with Wing Tassar and it's basically the same story. <laughs> um, I, there isn't a lot of variation in, in, in what I write. And that, that's, not, that's, that's not deliberate. That's just, I guess, here's the story I like to tell. And um, it, the, the, there are some, if you were to look at, Steps to deliverance versus downfall, or steps to deliverance in space, as, uh, as I'd call it. You know, there there are a lot of similarities. Although, again, the characters the characters aren't original. Orion is basically um, MCU's Thor. He's the uh, the yeah. guy who got too big for his, his boots. Who the, the 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 massive gargantuan chisel jawed good looking hero who has a, a moment where he then goes, now I need to be a better person. Now, does that mean that in the next Orion book we can look forward to him sitting on the couch playing Call of Duty, getting a beer gut, and eating pizza? Possibly. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure about the mullet. I'm not sure it goes far as that. Um, and likewise, you know, with with, with downfall, uh, Hawkins uh, probably owes a lot to Luke Skywalker. Just this naive, stupid, uh, really well-meaning um, bit of an idiot who's amazingly good with uh, with, with a, a a laser sword. So um, yeah, there's uh, these. You know, I, I'm not doing anything original with what I write. And um, I'm 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 at peace with that because there's uh, I'm I'm kind of happy with old-fashioned storytelling and leaning on people who've done it better than me. So to sum up what we've kind of said here today, I think we can agree that protagonists need to go on a journey and need to, need to be relatable in some form. You know, antagonists anta- antagonists need to be relatable also and can be tied directly in with the protagonist in some way, whether they are a bounce-off or they're, they're, 
they're the complete opposite of that character, whether they are similar to the character and they went in a different direction. They need to be relatable as well. And a good a good antagonist doesn't just plot world destruction with no other objectives. Character death. I think consensus here is we kind of think it's overdone a little bit. Make your own decisions about that one. If you like more grounded in reality fiction, that's your own belief. But I think we kind of want to try to see a rising of high fantasy again and lightheartedness. Anything else you want to throw in, Mark? Any other comments on that? Yeah, um, character as a vehicle to drive a novel forwards for me is the uh, the, the most interesting way of doing it. It's, it's, it's not the only way. Uh, but uh, it's the way I, I like both to write and to read, but also backing up uh, what you've said about the, the, the lighter side of storytelling. And when you're writing about conflict, it's not necessarily going to be you know full light light, as in rom-com light, uh, but it, it can have an uplifting ending. And it's like, well, what's the point in the story? The story's there to entertain, and it is a valid... Uh, technique of entertaining someone is to have them leave a cinema or switch off a computer game or or close the final page on a book and feel better than when they started and to have it have some hope and some optimism and some happiness and it, it seems to have fallen out of favour and out of fashion a bit recently in, uh, across some areas of the entertainment industry but um, I still think there's a that there's a place for it, and it's it's certainly it's certainly what I enjoy. Most people read fantasy to get away from reality, so we need to bring back the fantasy into fantasy. And also, I am now going to push for a retelling of Steps of Deliverance, done in a bard's perspective, as a rom com. Can you, if if you can get someone to do that from in fact, can I pick? From the uh, from the cast of WHP authors, because I'm not going to write it. It'd be funnier if someone else did it. Absolutely, I think it would be great to have some fan write it. Just somebody in the Kings of Warform would be like, Ryan just strode up on his horse, fell off, stood up, put a hand through his hair, and said, "Hey, how's it going?" Uh, it would. Um, I oh, going back a long time. I did write for some. Um, um, one of the one of the novels I've um, I've written relatively recently for Winged Hussar has I've been lucky enough to have my first example of fan fiction appearing on the internet, and it is ah uh, yes, it's absolutely fascinating to me to see someone else write my characters and uh, and in some ways absolutely nail them in some ways very much not and just go no 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 that's not quite right but it doesn't matter because even though it's very tongue in cheek and it's very silly. Um, I enjoyed every minute of it and thought it was abs- it was really well put together because it, it was even kind of poking holes and making fun out of the way I write and the words I overuse and that was masterfully done. You've got to be able to laugh at yourself. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah it was funny. <laughs> Orion happens to be a, a big business entrepreneur who went to high school with Estelle who's just a small town girl who used to live in the city but now she's coming back to her small town and the two of them meet and get together coming to hallmark channel this holiday season it's steps to deliverance i'd watch it <laughs> and on that note thanks for listening i've been brandon rossbond i'm mark barber and we'll see you in the next episode <laughs>